Wait a minute. I'll bring Eddie in. He'll cheer you up. Hey, Eddie. Come on in and bring your music box along. who plays jazz guitar can thank Eddie Lang. He was the first guitarist to play as a soloist and was an influential factor in the guitar replacing the banjo in jazz ensembles. Lang was a versatile player who could back blues singers, play classical music, and jam with the greatest musicians of his day. He was the house guitarist at OK from 1926 to 1933 using the pseudonym Blind Willie Dunn. Welcome to Dead Wax 78s. I'm your host Sean and you know we listen to hip tunes, we talk about long dead artists. Today we're talking about Eddie Lang. Lang along with New Orleans born Lonnie Johnson were among the first single string guitar soloists. He played the melody on one string while adding an occasional chord. He demonstrated that the guitar could be an instrument for accompaniment like a piano. A jazz guitar virtuoso and a boyhood friend of Joe Venuti, Lang took violin lessons for 11 years but switched to the guitar before he turned professional in 1924 with the Mound City Blues Blowers. He was soon in great demand for recording dates, both in the jazz world and in pop settings. His sophisticated European-sounding chord patterns made him a unique accompanist, but he was also a fine soloist. He often played his violin with Venuti and with Red Nichols of Five Pennies, Frankie Trumbauer and Big Spiderbeck most notably on the song Singing the Blues. He played in many orchestras, including Roger Wolf Kahn's orchestra, Gene Golkett, and Paul Whiteman appearing on one short number with Venuti in Whiteman's 1930 film, King of Jazz. Now, he was born in 1902 as Salvatore Masoro in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His stage name was taken from his favorite basketball player from a local team, at the Philadelphia SPHAs. Lang began his musical journey earlier than most, and at age one and a half, his first instrument was a cigar box guitar made by his father, who he described as a maker of guitars in the old country. A few years later, Lang was hit by a streetcar and spent a year recovering in bed. His parents used the money from the personal injury settlement to buy him a violin which he used to begin in his formal music training at the James Campbell School. It was there that Lang received training on the violin as well as music theory and harmony. Outside of school, he stated that he fooled around with the guitar at home and also played the banjo. 
This kind of versatility was not uncommon in those days. Students were commonly taught the fundamentals of music before specializing in a specific instrument, which facilitated the transfer of skills between different instruments. Many have also remarked that Lang's natural musicality of a superhuman ear, this as well as his training, likely contributed to his virtuosity. Here's side one. Eddie and Joe Venuti, String in the Blues. One of Lang's friends in the early days was a classmate and neighbor Joe Fanuti. He was also learning the violin and guitar. Together they honed their skills on both instruments through extensive practice sessions that Venuti claimed lasted up to 10 hours. The two became an influential pair beginning in 1918 as the members of a band led by Chick Granese Lang on banjo, Venuti on violin. The performances with this group helped to establish Lang as a presence on the dance band scene. And in 1920, he dropped the violin for banjo and worked with Charlie Kerr, then Bert Eslow, Vic DePolito, and Billy Lustwig Scranton Siren Orchestra. A few years later, he dropped the banjo for guitar, 
when he became a member of the Mound City Blues Blowers, led by Red McKenzie. He recorded one of his first solos in 1924 on Deep Second Street Blues. His performance with the McKenzie's band drew attention, and he found many jobs as a freelance guitarist. Now, before Lang, the guitar hadn't been a prominent instrument in jazz or in dance orchestras. So in 1926, recording quality began to improve significantly, and as a result, Lang's star began to rise. In the following years, he recorded with Venuti, Red Nichols, Big Spiderbeck, and countless others. And in 1929, Lang recorded Blues Guitar 1 and 2 with blues guitarist Lonnie Johnson. Due to racial segregation of the time, Lang used the pseudonym Blind Willie Dunn to conceal his race. Here's side two, Mound City Blowers, Deep Second Street Blues on Brunswick, Thank you. 
1929, Lang and Venuti became members of Paul Whiteman's orchestra, and again, Lang made an impact. Whiteman was impressed by his ability to learn songs quickly, though Lang had little education and could not read music. During the same year, vocalist Bing Crosby made his first solo recordings. Lang developed a close friendship with Bing Crosby. He became Crosby's regular accompanist, appearing on recordings, radio broadcasts, theater performances. When Crosby toured soon after, Lang sat on a stool next to him to share the microphone. Lang's wife Kitty, a Ziegfeld girl, was friends with Crosby's wife, Dixie. He became a regular in Crosby's orchestra in 1932, the same year he appeared in the movie The Big Broadcast in 1932. Lang was set to appear in a second film alongside Crosby, this time with a speaking role. However, he struggled with laryngitis, a chronic sore throat and gastrointestinal problems which made such a role difficult. The sound of the acoustic guitar worked very well with recording technology during his career and audiences liked his solos, usually played on a single string, and his accompanying style chords interspersed with short melodies, musician historian Frank Hamilton explains Eddie Lang played with great sensitivity on the acoustic guitar, which enabled the listener to hear subtleties that are often lost on the electrics due to the frequency loss in amplification. He was extremely versatile and comfortable with different styles of music. Here's side three, Blind Willie Dunn and Lonnie Johnson, Hot Fingers. Thank you. 
wow, that always blows me away. Eddie Lang, the father of jazz guitar, is associated with the Gibson L5 Archtop more than any other model. Developed in 1923, the L5 was a cutting-edge guitar with a minimalist design, elegant curves, and striking sunburst finish. It was an exquisite instrument, a modern yet at the same time somehow timeless. Though likely intended to be part of the mandolin orchestra, the L5 might have been designed to meet the needs of Eddie Lang, a cutting-edge instrument for a cutting-edge player. Eddie would not have an L5 until about 1928, by which point he already had a very successful career and had established himself as the number one guitar player in the country. So what was Eddie playing before he got his hands on an L5? Most folks would answer that question by saying, an L4? And <laughs> that would be the end of it. But Lang didn't get an L4 until the mid-1920s, and he had been playing professionally for seven years prior to that. In reality, Eddie Lang had used a wide variety of guitars before he got his hands on a Gibson. As he developed the art of jazz guitar, Eddie was photographed with a number of different instruments, and though photographs don't identify the guitars definitely, there are enough clues so that one can make an educated guess as to the make and model that he was playing, as well as the period in which he was playing them. The fact that nearly a hundred years later Lang is so strongly associated with the Gibson brand is a, a testament to the brilliance of Frank Campbell, Gibson's sales and advertising manager. Campbell recognized that musicians like Eddie Lang were redefining the role of the guitar and he made sure that they had a Gibson in their hand while they were doing it. Though the details of the deal Campbell had with Eddie is not clear, it's likely that something had to be worked out. Eddie started appearing in Gibson catalogs along with the L4 as early as 1928, the same year he is said to have acquired his first L5. The truth is, Eddie Lang was such a great guitarist, he, he could get whatever sound he wanted out of whatever guitar was in his hands. He was not bound by the strict standards of modern players and gear enthusiasts. He would play a classical piece on a steel string guitar with a flat pick and make it sound absolutely brilliant. He was, of course, a genius. Here's side four. I can't help but play another Blind Willie tune and Lonnie Johnson tune. Here's Guitar Blues on OK Records, 
Lang suffered from the occasional laryngitis and chronic sore throat. After a doctor recommended a tonsillectomy, Crosby urged Lang to have the operation done. Assured that the operation was routine, Lang entered Park West Hospital in Manhattan. The surgery was initially deemed a success, but in the hours that followed, he never awoke from the surgery. He died at age 30 in 1933. It has been speculated that he bled to death due to medical malpractice. However, at the request of Lang's wife, Kitty, an autopsy was never performed. She recalls, when Bing found out, he cried in my arms like a baby. Lang is buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in Yindon, Pennsylvania. On October 23, 2016, the Philadelphia's Mural Art Organization dedicated the mural Eddie Lang, the father of jazz guitar, by artist Jared Bader. The mural stands by Lang's childhood home and the James Campbell School that stood at 8th and Fitzwater, where Lang learned to play. Thanks for listening. This has been Dead Wax 78s, and I'm Sean. And guess what? I'm going to catch you on the flip side.